Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. We are uh, privileged today uh, to welcome, uh, to speak to us, our very own, some of our very own who returned from uh, work in Cambodia and previous to that, India, uh, but are now living in Fort Collins and part of our community. Uh, So let's give a warm, warm welcome to Ryan and Angie Ketchum. Come on up. We are sharing something. It's, it's a little bit different today. I was just thinking it's, this is the first time in about eight years that we've shared about overseas life and missions life um, in, in kind of a unique way. We, we, anyone that's in missions, you know, they're, they're used to just doing this kind of thing. You get up in churches or you get up in small groups or whatever and you share um, your stories. And for the first time, this feels really, really special actually because it's a church that we're now a part of. We never thought it would be now. And didn't, uh, didn't know where it would be, but uh, God has gifted us with this, this uh, community of believers, and it's uh, really special to share. So um, we're going we're gonna to both kind of just be sharing some stories and some uh, things about um, life uh, that our family has experienced over the last, uh, over the last eight years. And um, I think coming into today, we kind of committed to each other, and I think we committed a long time ago, um, and to our friends that when we share as, um, as cross-cultural missional workers, we're committed to being really true to the, kind of the, the ordinary lives that we live. Now, you're thinking there's no way your life was ordinary, but as we kind of like stop ourselves from saying we did really amazing things and um, kind of fill in the blank. We, we want to be true to what was really just like ordinary life for us. And at first it was never that, but as we look back on it now, it was the six of us living as a family overseas trying to uh, do our work where we did, and you'll hear more about that. And um, so we just want to say that we hope to, as you listen that you realize that the people you hear sharing are the same people that we were in Cambodia, before that in India, the same people that have been here the last, I think it's six or seven months now at, at Emmaus Road. And um, if, we, if we shared our stories of kind of self-striving, that would be horrible stories. And so we just share where we were at and uh, trust that as we bear witness to what God was doing, that, um, that you will hear uh, the Spirit speaking to you. Well, some logistics first. Um, We were a family of five when we moved overseas, and you don't just pack up and move a family of five on a whim, um, at least not when you're going that direction. We'll tell you about how we totally packed up a family in very short notice and came back to the U.S., but um, in about 2005, we really felt like God was stirring our hearts to do some kind of something. We didn't really know what that was. Um, we sold the house that we had built in Idaho. We, um, we changed um, the trajectory of our life in ministry and work and um, downsized everything and for three years just kind of waited to see what was going to open up. And an opportunity in India um, opened up at a school down in southern India up in the They call it the Hill Stations. It's where historically the British missionaries would send their children to school because it was so difficult for them down the plains. And um, 
India had, had always had a special place in my heart when I was a teenager. I felt very drawn to the work of Mother Teresa, and I came home and told my mom that I wanted to go and visit Calcutta and see the work that she was doing. And my mom kind of gave me a blank stare and was like, you can't go by yourself, and we don't know anyone that would go with you. And so that just kind of stuck in my heart to kind of just wait and see what God would open up. So in 2008, we um, packed up our three girls and um, headed to a school. We had visited India but never been to the place where we were going. We showed up um, with our 10 suitcases and ready for whatever God had for us. Um, I was working full-time as a resident, um, resident nurse at Hebron International School. It's a British boarding school. Um, for families. It used to be for missionary families, and now it's more for Asian business families. Um, it was a 24-7 job, um, keeping the health center open, and um, there were a lot of things that we really loved about it, um, but it was quite intense. Um, we were at least three hours um, away from um, a hospital, um, we were eight and a half hours away from the international airport. Um, nursing there um, looked a whole lot like parenting, but it was like 300 students that I was responsible for, and their parents were in different countries. Um, lots of harrowing tales of crazy taxi rides, um, you know, down these hairpin bends to get kids to hospitals um, after they had been doing crazy, crazy tricks and stunts and things like that. Let me just interrupt and say, um, just so you can kind of get a glimpse of us back then, there's a photo of us. This was our first prayer, prayer card photo, uh, the five of us, before we left in 2008. We didn't know anything back then. I don't know that we know a whole lot more, but we sure looked good, and we were really excited. <laughs> Um, what, what we hadn't intended on, and you can go to the next photo, was after living in India for a while, um, you know, we, we started, this was like at a church dedication service. We obviously added Megan to our families. We had four girls by then. Um, but I don't know if you can tell, but when we would go to church on Sundays, and this is how we would dress for church, that I wore the pants and Ryan wore the dress. Um, it's called a dhoti. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's very traditional Southern Indian clothing, um, although I think actually a lot of Southern Indian men wear trousers, as they would call them, and they thought it was great, though, that, that Ryan would wear the dhoti to church. Um, so as our t I mean, I'm not going to tell a whole lot about our time in India. Um, it was incredibly forming for us. Um, our roles, um, I was working full-time, you can imagine, we lived like where our E-Kids area is, and this was the school. So we lived in the center of this community. Um, Ryan did a lot of outreach um, into the wider community, some crazy stuff like led a men's jazzercise group where like the town doctors and... It's totally true. It sounds crazy, <laughs> but it's totally yeah. true. Yeah. Um, and we loved that, but the school environment that we were in didn't didn't offer opportunities um, to work outside of it because we were just busy there all the time. And so we did feel like, like a shift was coming for us. And um, our entire time in India, though, had come about through friends of friends of friends, just little, little snippets here and there of, oh, have you thought about going here? You could serve here. You could live here. You could, you know, 
could God be calling you to this kind of thing? Um, and that just kind of seemed to continue, um, continue on. And one, one Christmas, we had stayed on campus and all the students left and had met a family that was visiting. They had served at our school before, and um, she loved researching international Christian schools. And so when we felt like a transition was coming for us, we weren't ready to come back to the States, but we just needed something that was a little less intense than 24-7 at the school. I just called her up and said, if you could go anywhere, where would you go? And she said, this is really classic among people that live overseas, like, well, I've never been here before, um, but if, if I could go anywhere, I would go to Cambodia, and I would work with an organization called Asian Hope, and they have a school there called Logos International School. And while a lot of international schools talk about wanting to make a difference in their community, she said, this one is actually doing it. And so, once again, we packed up our family. We came back to the States for four weeks um, just to reconnect with our parents and aunts and uncles and cousins and siblings, and then headed for Cambodia. You might know some things uh, about Cambodia. Um, Cambodia is, um, is, is not a first world country. Uh, most of the population lives um, in the provinces as rice farmers, subsistence rice farmers. Many of the uh, countries around that region can, um, because of technology and irrigation, get two or three rice crops a year. Cambodia um, can only get one. And um, in the 70s, about the, around the, the, the year I was born in 75, um, the Khmer Rouge, um, under the dictator Pol Pot, basically uh, drove um, the masses of the cities out into the provinces to create a kind of a modern agrarian society and the the country was devastated and for uh, a, a few years lived under um, extreme oppression and um, all all kinds all strata of the society was um, was executed and they lost education and culture and medicine and all kinds of things and um, today the, the culture is is very young because generation is uh, completely missing and it was to that place where we were going. Um, and we, we were still tent makers with the Church of the Nazarene, which meant we, uh, we were connected as able to assist with the work of the church, but then employed by a third party. And as Angie mentioned, that was uh, the organization Asian Hope. They're actually based in Denver. And we went to, I went to teach um, music, actually, at Logos International School. Coming out of India, my grandma was probably really, really pleased and relieved because finally her grandson finally had a job. Um, because in India, actually, my title was home duties, and I was at, I was home with the girls, raising them and doing some small things on the side. And so finally, Ryan's got a job, gainfully employed. There's hope for our family line. <laughs> and um, and so I went to teach. Uh, had never been in the classroom. I studied music in college, just not music education. That would have been really helpful. Stepped into a classroom uh, setting where, um, before long, it was K through 12 music, and I was teaching about 300 students a week. Um, and it was, um, I'd never done anything like that before, and I love music and love education, but um, I'm looking for some other lines of work currently, so let me know. <laughs> Asian Hope works. Um, I heard an, oh, like, I love music education and felt like part of my soul came alive in that, so I'm looking for something and uh, both of us are actually just waiting this very month for what God would have for us um, in terms of employment. Um, 
So Asian Hope, uh, just a, a quick word about them, works to protect, educate, and empower children in Cambodia and does that through community development programs and educating a wide variety of society. And um, the school we worked at, you'll see a photo right, right uh, behind us, it's Logos International School. And that uh, campus has been there for just a couple years. And uh, that photo was taken at about 7.30 in the morning. By that point, you are sweating profusely. Uh, so imagine being like in PE class out on that field. Um, I don't know how those kids did it. I got to stay in the music room. Uh, speaking of which, the music room, here's me teaching. Um, I think those are third graders or fourth graders at the time. That's me at work. Uh, the work that I did for um, f just a little over four years, actually, in Cambodia. Um, er, learning the chops of being a teacher and uh, learned a lot and um, loved, loved being with those kids. Maybe some of the older ones, um, but some of, the, some of the even preschoolers that I taught, just really, really special moments there. The, uh, the next, the next uh, photo just kind of shows our girls, actually near one of the houses that we lived in. That's called a tuk-tuk. And this is a little covered, uh, pulled behind a what they call a moto, just a, like a 100cc little um, motorcycle. That's how we would uh, get to school and back and around town. So my role was uh, teaching at the school. I was in charge of a homeroom that met every morning for devotions and um, established some great relationships with kids in that school. Um, taught kids that were a few uh, West, white Westerner kids, um, a, a number of Korean students, uh, a number of Cambodians, and kind of a whole mix. Um, and so lots of interaction with uh, lots of different cultures. One of the, that role for me was one of the hardest things I think I've ever, ever done. And so I think out of this Cambodia season for us, just some really gripping lessons that God taught for us as we faced um, kind of some of the end of ourselves and our limitations and uh, the beauty of that. My role in Cambodia um, compared to India, really there were just some breaks hit and it was a great time of just kind of recuperating, um, being at home with Megan. I actually was able to complete my master's degree in nursing education um, through NNU and um, was able to do that online and um, However, um, about a year, in, a little over a year into our time in Cambodia, um, we entered a new season, and that, um, for me, was, and for us, was a journey through cancer, and um, it was uh, October of 2012 when I was diagnosed. Um, as Ryan said before, that, um, you know, Cambodia is trying to rebuild they are um, about 40 years, well, 35 years after um, the Khmer Rouge regime wiped out all the doctors, all the teachers, um, even people who could just speak a foreign language or wore glasses to show that they were educated. Um, those people, that entire generation was no more, um, which means that their medical treatment is 40 years behind. And so um, my medical care was um, at Bumlingrad Hospital in Bangkok, Thailand. Um, and it was an incredible time for us to have to rely on our community, um, the international school community, the missions community, the, um, the nationals that we had come to know and love uh, more incredible support to us. Um, and through 
there's a picture that will show of just, I think, me with my, um, the nurses that took care of me at the hospital. Through that journey of uh, months of chemo and surgery and recuperation and then radiation, um, there were just some really huge lessons that we were learning as a couple, as individuals, as a family, as a community. Um, when you are living and working overseas, there are certain things that you endure and there are certain things that you don't. And for our community in Cambodia, um, things like um, having babies in country was something that we didn't do. We all, everyone went to Thailand to do that. Um, and so, um, and, and serious medical issues were another thing. You are kind of plucked out of your, your community because the care that you needed medically wasn't available there. Um, and yet, the community that we found in Thailand supported us incredibly. Our community in Cambodia came around us. Um, we had friends that we would find out later. We actually went way back with um, our lives had intersected multiple times actually here in Colorado through Young Life, through lots of other circumstances. They just were with us and they would take care of our kids when we would have to go to Thailand. Um, we found that scripture that God was teaching us about not being anxious about praying about everything, those, those, um, those scriptures, God's word, his promises to be with us were like, were so life-giving. We would wake up in the morning, um, we could hardly sleep just from the stress of everything, but just God's word would just continually be in our mouths, that we would be speaking it to each other, our kids would be singing it in the car, um, we would be singing it at home, just in our spirits that the Lord had just been preparing us for, for this journey. And we came back actually to the States after a year of cancer treatment. Um, I came back for my graduation, um, which was a great time of celebration and being with our families. Um, and in some ways, expected that that journey would be kind of behind us. It would just be, you know, as you go along through life, you know, hardships, you kind of travel through that, and you're like, oh, that's going to kind of shape who we are, I bet, and, um, but I'm really glad that it's over, and yet, went back to Cambodia, my role changed, um, I started working at the school where Ryan was, our, our time overlapped, so our entire family was there during the school day, and that was a great time, um, I was able to be a school nurse again, but it wasn't 24-7, we had, we had more family time, we could be together, um, but we had learned these lessons about not looking too far into the future. Um, we felt like God had, had illuminated the, our path, but it literally was like holding a little lamp or a flashlight that just showed kind of the area that we were in. And, um, and just really continued to trust God for every moment of every day. And... Um, and yet the cancer, the cancer journey didn't end. And the cancer journey is what brought us back to the States um, eventually. Um, and it's something that we'll continue to deal with. But the Lord, I just feel like in those moments, he just, just taught us how to be present right then, to reveal that he was present right then, that we, when you're living overseas, you start kind of shedding these, these ideas that, in order to be successful, your life has to look like this. In order to um, have value, this and this has to happen. Where I felt like God was just speaking to us um, 
just a sense of peace over over our lives that where we were was where we were and where we were is where he was and um and that was that was incredible for us Psalm 146 which Justin read this morning just want to share a few of those verses again starting with verse 6 the Lord God, he made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows. He frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. He will be your God, O Jerusalem, throughout the generations. Praise the Lord. Well, there was a building uh, sense as I, as I was teaching at Logos. Um, and I want to be careful not to kind of look back with like any sort of unnecessary disdain because that's part of my story. And so I can't be too judgmental of why I was there, what was happening. But um, there was this building sense that there was um, something that I needed something different that I needed to do about a year and a half ago, uh, partway through my last, what would be my last full-time teaching year, it just started to feel like God was leading me to something a little bit smaller and a little bit slower and maybe for me a little bit more sustainable. Desire to study the local language, a desire to study uh, the local indigenous music, and a desire to connect with, um, connect with people in s- small, uh, s- slow, kind of real personal ways. And uh, that led to my uh, to quitting part uh, quitting full time teaching, and just this this school year actually started t- part time teaching, um, and then studying language, and um, incredibly incredibly fulfilling. Um, I brought this. This is uh, this is from my language teacher. Uh, and basically what I just said was uh, this, is a, this is like kind of the everyday item that they would use for wiping their brows and like swinging their babies like a hammock or for like bundling up some stuff at the market. And uh, I got this from, from, uh, from my uh, language teacher. I won a little competition in rice planting. They took the school students out and... Uh, Evidently, I'm really good at rice planting. Maybe I should look at rice planting for a job. <laughs> Amazing. And so um, incredibly fulfilled. Um, and about four or five months into that, as you heard, we suddenly had to relocate to the U.S. And obviously, there's a temptation to think, uh, hang on just a second. I thought we were just getting going. Lord, I thought you spoke to me. I thought I heard correctly what in the world are you doing? And I think through, particularly through the cancer journey, we had, we had started building like, like it's trust muscles. Like you start practicing, like you're lifting weights with these muscles that are supposed to trust. I don't know where they are in the body. They're invisible, but you need them and you have them. And we had begun to, to get a little better at trusting. And I, I still mourn actually the loss of, um, of 
all of that. I know our kids do. And uh, in fact, ironically, today after church, we go down to Colorado Springs for a week-long re-entry retreat to process with families just like us who have had to come back. Um, what our story is and what God is saying to us, that he has not forgotten us, he has not forsaken us, and he is with, a, with us and will bring to completion his work in us. So I think um, that's just a bit of, of my story. I, I had to face, just kind of so you know, I had to face um, some things that I think come out of the crucible of international life. When you're there in a culture that's foreign, you don't know the language, you're just figuring out the currency, the cultural underpinnings you barely understand. You're trying, to, you're trying to build relationships, but you're just maddened by the chaos of the traffic or the heat and the humidity is just killing you. All these kinds of things that we actually slowly begin to see as actually really beautiful parts about that culture. Just some of the stress um, and what ended up being kind of a journey into not into, but further into anxiety and depression for me that came at just the wrong time, right as Angie was entering the cancer journey. And so we're, we're coming up to like seeing the limitations of ourselves, our bodies, our minds, and um, wondering what is going on. And um, out of all that, God was still at work um, profoundly, really, really at work. I want to tell you a story um, about a friend. Um, he was actually our mechanic. Uh, some, some other expat friends uh, referred him to us, and uh, he helped us buy a uh, Toyota Sienna minivan that had been imported into the country. It was like a 98, so it wasn't worth very much, but the import tax over there makes it twice as much as you would ever pay on the cars.com or something here. Here's a picture of our car. And uh, this was, we'd owned it for a little while. It didn't come to us like this. But this is in uh, his shop. And at, uh, I think, about a year into owning the car, they discovered that uh, the entire engine need completely disassembled and cleaned by hand. And that's what they're getting ready to do. And so... We used to joke. We were pretty sure that our car had survived Hurricane Katrina, had been put on some kind of barge, sent across the ocean, and had come into our possession. So... But it was our beloved van, and it, um, it was actually supporters of ours helped um, buy that transportation there. And we'd owned a Sienna in, in the States. We owned one then. We still own a Sienna. I think we're hooked for life. Um, but my friend was a, a mechanic who was born in 1966 in Cambodia and wasn't very old when the Khmer Rouge routine began to just uh, rip apart um, his society and his countryside, and he, he was able to flee to Thailand as a boy and somehow got uh, refugee status to go to the States, to um, the Long Beach, California area, where there's a very large Cambodian population. Most of those came out of Cambodia at that time. And he, um, he was married and started a family there and spent uh, several decades working as a certified Mitsubishi mechanic in L.A. and got lots of experience and then just suddenly started feeling like the, the stress there, the strain, or the longing for his countryside was kind of rising. And so he moved his family back in 2009. And we met him about uh, three years later. And he was our mechanic, and he helped us buy this car, and he helped, it fi helped us fix it time and time again. I'd get calls at school, and I'd, he'd call me personally and say, Ryan... Why don't you just uh, why don't you just come come pick up your car, leave it leave it at the gate after after hours, or, or my guards will put it in. I mean, lengths at going to going to help us out with this car, um, and 
It wasn't until just about a year and a half ago that we discovered that um, his health was, um, it wasn't just like the stress that he was feeling in, in LA. There were some serious heart issues going on. And um, at about the time that that started getting really critical, this tragic story happened at this very garage where he um, was accused of stealing lots of money and of stealing a car and was basically thrown out and asked to pay an exorbitant amount of money and was shunned from his only line of employment uh, that his family's depending on and actually thrust out into the provinces where he traveled around kind of like a, a hiding fugitive for, um, as best we can tell, a year or a year and a half. And um, what comes out of this story is actually like the culmination of, at least for me, some, some really beautiful messages as a now kind of a former missionary. Um, and I, I just wanna I just wanna read you um, a text message that I got from him about two months ago. He died on May May twelfth, actually, from uh, final stages of congestive heart failure. And uh, I walked through uh, as best I could, being in a different hemisphere, not even really speaking his language. Sunday, March twenty seventh, it was right before church, actually. Hi, Ryan, I am now in hospital. I was unable to move a few days ago. Now I am better. But it might get worse. If you do not see my message anymore, you know what happened. Your friend. And um, just that friend saying, your friend at the end, I hadn't seen that um, early on in our relationship. And as we traded lots of emails and, and text messages back and forth, it would come again, your friend. Then I wrote something like this, and... I don't read this to kind of puff myself up because these words I feel like came directly out of what God had done in me. I'm sorry to hear about your suffering. I want you to know that you were not forgotten. In the moments when you feel alone or afraid, again, he was out in the province away from his family. He'd have to change his cell phone every few months so they couldn't find him, shut down his Facebook account, running literally in fear of his life, and his body was dying. In the moments when you feel alone or afraid, you are not alone. I remember you, but more than that, God sees you and knows you and loves you. I know this to be true, so very true, more true than even this world we live in, this broken world with its broken people, broken vans, and their bodies and minds. God is with us in the middle of our pain and joy, in the middle of our hurting and celebration. His love covers over all, all of our selfishness and all of our fear. You are not forgotten. You are known and loved and um, I'm now corresponding with one of his kids. I think it's his oldest son, and they're now trying to sell their Toyota minivan to buy tickets to come back to the States where they're going to try to find some connection to a Cambodian community and try to make a living, his widow and his fatherless children. And um, I want to be very careful here, but I feel as though as, as Tess's life was ebbing away, Something actually in, in me was passing away as well. And it happens to be my, my notions of what evangelism were and what my part in someone else's life were that I began to see that it's much, much less about me trying to control or manipulate or somehow bring about machinations in another person towards God. Asking the right questions, steering the conversation so that I can somehow 
feel like I've done my part. And what happened in this relationship, I, I, I'm, it's, it's still forming, and I'm still trying to come to grips with what's happening, but I feel as though God brought to life in me uh, the smallest glimpse of how he deals in this world. Here's this Buddhist man, a little bit younger than me, who in, in this relationship, and I, I, I couldn't be at his bedside. I actually considered we almost bought a ticket so I could go be with him uh, in, his, in the village where he was born. That's where he went to die, actually. I wasn't able to go to his bedside and somehow draw him in some conversation where I could maybe, where he could maybe convert to Christianity. And yet there was this gripping sense in my heart that I wanted him to experience God's love as I had profoundly experienced it, especially in the last few years. And I bore witness to that. And I said that, and those words and those texts and those emails came off so quickly and so easily. It was unlike any sort form of evangelism that I'd ever done. And it's by God's grace that I had this relationship. And I, I don't know what his eternal security is, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that he encountered God's transforming, profoundly transforming love. And, and so did I. And there's something really beautiful about that. And I guess I want to say that as we think today about um, faith promise and as we think about God's work in this world, um, I guess I think about people who support us. Um, I, I think about this church who's still kind of a, a supportive community on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. People who support um, cross-cultural workers are people who are there when um, the car completely falls apart. Um, and maybe they're the ones that bought you the car in the first place, right? And it's an essential, essential part, um, vital part of the body of Christ around the world. I think I want to close with one final story. Um, it's about that van. If you can bring that picture back up. I don't know why God chose profound lessons to teach us through like 1998 vans, but he did. A year ago, I was headed to graduation. Um, I was, well, I had prepared the choir to sing uh, two songs at graduation. We were driving um, out, of our, out of our street down just a couple miles to a church where we'd have the graduation ceremony. I was just coming off uh, a spring where we, where Angie had been in Thailand for a, a long stretch of time doing radiation uh, five days a week, and she uh, gratefully was able to come back on the weekend so that we could all be together. Um, but I was kind of, probably didn't know it at the time, just completely falling apart inside. Uh, at the end of my rope, and thankfully it was near the end of the school year, but I got in the van this morning expecting just to be able to get to graduation, get Lauren there. She was all dressed up, ready to sing. I had the keyboard in the back and uh, pulled out onto Hanoi Road to head south to ICA Church. And um, Hang on, hang on. Did you pull out? I thought the car was dead when you went to it. I pulled out after the car was <laughs> had died that morning. Just going to let you really know how horrible this car was. Um, batteries last, they say, like far less than you want them to in the heat and humidity, and we went through batteries constantly. The battery uh, had died, but the thing is, it had lasted all that spring without Angie, all the trips with the girls in the car to school, all the times to the airport and back to pick her up. And that morning, it decided 
to die. Did I get that right? Okay, so my neighbor, another missionary just next door, uh, helped me jump the car, and we were in, and we were going, pulled out onto Hanoi, and there's, uh, there was construction, thankfully. The road was horrible. It had been redone about three years ago, but it had fallen apart. The construction methods were really weak and lacking, and uh, so they were doing it again, and it was going to be great. We just had to endure this crazy traffic. Lanes were being uh, squished down into, uh, into two very tight lanes, especially over this bridge. Well, I get to the first light, uh, which is near the, the dusty market, as it was called, and the car died. And so, not completely surprising this had happened before, but I was stressed out trying to get to graduation. I called one of my students who was already there and said, listen, I, Mr. Ketchum is going to be late. Uh, the car is not wanting to be there, so hang on. I'll be there as fast as I can. Immediately, we start, Lauren and I started sweating because the humidity and heat is just, it's intense all the time. There's a brief period of the year in January or December where the, it dips down into, like, into the 70s, and it's beautiful. And so we started sweating profusely, and um, I, I had no idea what to do. Started to panic a little bit until I realized right behind me was a missionary family in their, in their van, and they pulled up right beside me and said, what's going on? Do you need a hand? I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> they said, we've got jumper cables. Hang on. So they pulled up, jumped my car. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm still like in the street, like blocking traffic all around. They jumped the van and uh, peeled off to the left to head into town, and I've got a new lease on life, and we're headed down into traffic. It starts to really pinch in across the bridge that they're redoing as we get close. It's, uh, I've turned the, turned the AC down, and I'm like revving the engine, hoping that like, I can just keep it, keep it limping along. And it completely dies uh, within less than a mile. And um, I look around thinking maybe there's someone right here and there's not, because there's someone right here. It's one of my choir members in their van. And um, there's, like, nowhere to turn around, so they can't even, like, maneuver back around me. They said, we've got a tow rope. I'm like, great plan. I'm glad you planned this out, because I've got nothing right here. So they hooked on with my van and then started towing me the last mile um, to, to the church. As I looked around, we noticed that my principal was right here, kind of on my, my right uh, flank, and we had a, another one of our staff members like right behind me. So they like nursed my ailing Sienna van all the way across uh, Russian Boulevard into where we pulled in for the church. And um, going slow, but going, and we're going to make it. Get up to the church, and there's this little drive over the security gate where the, where the big metal door shuts it off, shuts the campus off at night, and the tow rope snaps. And so my car's like kind of headed away from the church now. <laughs> and I put my foot on the brake. And I'm just like, I got nothing. What is going on? I can't do this anymore. All of these cars, these people around me that had, had kind of nursed me towards the church, like popped out. They're like, we've got you, Ryan. Hang on. Pushed me, pushed the car, because there's no like jumper cables. There's no tow rope. Now it's just like human bodies. And so pushed the car off to the side. They're just like, let it rest. Just maybe never come back to it. Just leave it. <laughs> Grab the keyboard out, go into the church. And I, I look back on this horrible morning. I think Angie didn't even know. She'd been in a taxi with the girls on the way to the church. I think I got to graduation, listened to the choir sing, and Ryan came and sat by us. And I, I had been a few minutes late, and I was like, oh, it was a crazy morning. And Ryan just said, you have no idea. <laughs> and as we look back at that, 
for some reason, we both just had this incredible sense that what was actually happening wasn't about a car, really. It wasn't about like a broken alternator, which is what it was. We went through like four of those. It wasn't about a dead battery. It wasn't about this really old car that came through Katrina or whatever it did. It was about something far more fundamental that when I, when I could not plan, like there was no way I could have had said to, um, to that family, hey, could you just kind of follow me to the church this morning and be there with your jumper cables? And to the other family in front of me, hey, could you get your tow rope? Oh, and the principal, could you just kind of come alongside me here? And all of you, could you be there when the tow rope's going to snap? I had no clue. But in the middle of that mess, and my life is kind of a mess. I don't know about you, but I feel like we're all kind of in this mess, and yet I, I don't want to be messy, and I don't want to be needed. I, I want my stuff to work right. I want to work right. And God was like, I am right there. You have no plan. In fact, don't even try to make a plan very much. You need to simply rest in the knowledge that I know your needs far better than you do. And I am with you. And that is sufficient. And that is profound. We have a new Sienna van. And I have jumper cables in it now. <laughs> but... We have all of you, too, so if you could just follow us out of <laughs> I guess um, at, at the close of today, I just want to say um, God is at work in us, and he's not finished, and there's more to the story, and God is at work in you, and whether your body is falling apart or will fall apart, um, the, lo- the ones that you love are not doing okay, and leave this earth. Whatever the case may be, God is really, truly in the middle of this. And like the songs in the scripture this morning were saying, it is about him and his glory in the world and his capability and his provision. And we testify to that. We have tasted it and we have seen his goodness. So there's... there's special projects here at Emmaus Road, and we love, we noticed that right away when we first started coming, and, um, and we love how there's a culture of compassion building within this community. There's this thing that some of you might not know called the World Evangelism Fund in the Church of the Nazarene that is the means by which career missionaries can go and are sent and sustained to do significant things, um, like educating pastors out in the provinces of Cambodia, who are rice farmers, don't even have a bicycle for their kids to get to the village school. And this fund uh, makes that all possible. And I guess we just want to say, participate in what God is doing. Listen to his Holy Spirit. He will make that clear and true. Practice the sensibility and the responsiveness to him. May we respond quickly and participate eagerly in God's work in the world. Psalm 146, the closing verse from today's psalm. The Lord rules forever. The God of Zion, the God of Jerusalem, the God of his people, which we are now, by the way, will rule for all time to come. Praise the Lord.